You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 98, since the word droplet has taken on an ominous meaning. And day 46 of this podcast In the days following George Floyd's death, before the streets of most cities and towns across America and across the world were filled with protesters, a woman in Middletown, Connecticut, just had to do something. Erica Hunter contacted the police and the mayor's office and put the word out that she wanted to organize a peaceful protest and bring the community together. More than a thousand people came from all over the state. Erica Hunter is today's guest. Erica, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the way we live now. Thank you for having me. Describe for us your current surroundings in as much detail as you can muster. Well, I'm home, um, a sacred place. Um, It's quiet right now. Um, And I just got out of work, so I relaxed my brain so I could be prepared for you today. (laughs) And what's, what's work for you? I work for um, Fairhaven Community Healthcare. I'm mm-hmm. a patient access rep. So, you know, during the whole COVID crisis, we triage patients. Um, we I make, make appointments. We fill prescriptions for patients. Um, we also have behavioral health services, midwifery services. So, mm-hmm. you know, basically, we're a, we're a healthcare agency that is um, very much a part of the New Haven area that's been around for years that services mm-hmm. thousands of patients. Mm, that that has to have been a very intense job to have for the last bunch of months. It has been, especially when, you know, I contacted COVID. Um, my department moved to another location, but I contacted COVID along with some other members in my department. And since then, we've been actually working from home. 
because obviously with social distancing now, it's kind of hard to have 11 people that's in one department that doesn't have that much space, but 12 desks, you know, you can't really social distance. So we've been making it work from home. Right. So the reason why I, I really wanted to have you on the show is that on May 30th, you organized one of the early protests following the death of George Floyd in Middletown, Connecticut. And it came to my attention because my son goes to college in Middletown and, you know, he called me over and said, Mom, you've got to, you've got to see this. You've got to check this out. And from what I understand, within 24 hours from having decided that you had to do this, you contacted the Middletown police and you were joined by over a thousand peaceful demonstrators from all over the state. Can you talk about the impetus, like the the moment where you realized, oh, this has to be done. Oh, I have to do this. Um, I was actually working that day and my son got um, sick. So I took him to the minute clinic to, for him to get tested for COVID. On my way back home, I was coming down Washington Street there was an older, probably maybe early, maybe late 50s, old, um, early 60s, older white man that was standing between Broad and Washington Street holding a sign that said justice for George, George Floyd. So I beat my horn, like, okay, yeah, I support this. Took me about maybe six, seven minutes to get home. And I got sick to my stomach because I was like, here's this man standing out there by himself. And nobody that looks like me or, or my people that or that look like George Floyd is out there holding the sign. And I felt like I needed to do more. And I pondered the idea all day. And then about 7, 38 o'clock that night, um, I contacted one of my friends um, who was close to one of the captains at the police department to find out how can I go about doing this. He sent all the criteria through text and told me what I needed to do. He told me to contact the Middletown Police Department, speak to the desk sergeant or the supervisor on duty. And that's what I did. Um, and it was a go from there. When you initially contacted the police department, was this request, um, you know, something that you sort of received easily and felt good about? Or was it was it challenging at all at the beginning? Well, the very first person that answered the phone, um, I think he probably didn't know which way to go with the call. Um, so I was on hold for several minutes. And then someone else came to the phone and um, I explained what I was wanting to do. And um, then I talked to that police officer for probably about 10, 15 minutes. And then I was given a call from another um, officer going into more detail because they wanted to know, you know, why would you want to stop in front of the police department? And my basic response was because, you know, these are the concerns of the people. And, you know, there's been issues in Middletown that there's probably been people felt that there were social injustices. I mean, there's been social injustices everywhere. But going to the Middletown Green on that day wasn't what was necessary. Stopping in front of the police station, but also letting the community know that, listen, these police officers here, they didn't have their, their knee on George Floyd's neck. There's no perfect department. There's no perfect organization. There's no perfect association. And there's no perfect family. And I'm not going to use that term bad apples because we've heard that um, Mm. crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, We are going to say that 
Um, now, nowadays, now we are using the term, we start, we need them to start holding their colleagues accountable. So if you see something, it's like they tell us, if you see something, say something. If you see something, you need to do something. And we just need to let them know that, listen, in order for us to bridge this gap back to trust, we need their support. And we did need their support. They supported me fully in that march. They marched beside us. They marched behind us. They led the way. They cleared the street for us. We were supposed to have a sidewalk. They called me all day. Do you know how many people you're going to have? I said, I don't know. I think like maybe 100 or 200 people. Then I got another call. You know how many people are we going to have? I was like, I don't know. I said, it's building momentum. I said, it's been shared 38 times. Never in my life did I ever think that there was going to be like a thousand people out there. I kept, I saw the mask when I stood in front of everybody to begin the march and I really started to cry. Because it was heartwarming that 22 hours of not even real full effort, but the fact that those many people came together because, um, and I'm hoping that a hundred percent of them were out there for the right reason and not just being out there just to be a part of something, but because they want change. Yeah. On your very active Facebook page on May 30th, I, I scrolled back and you posted, Welp, the mayor's office just called me and they <laughs> and they will be marching with us. <laughs> Welp. <laughs> I mean, how how did that feel? It, 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 one of the things that I think is extraordinary about this and about this moment in time that we're in, um, but in, in, in your story, is how just utterly grassroots organic this was, that in less than 24 hours, uh, a small city, uh, which I guess Middletown would classify as a small city, was mobilized. I mean, like, came together. Um, and when I when I read, you know, what you, what you just said, that the police decided not to give you the sidewalk, but instead to devote the entire street all the way down mm-hmm. this sort of wide street in Middletown with businesses on both sides and to, um, you know, to just honor and um, respect this process and be a part of it. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps as you're talking about that because it, it did make a difference that, you know, we couldn't do the sidewalks anyway too much because of the fact that Middletown, everybody knows Middletown is like a row of restaurants. Um, Main Street Middletown is nothing but restaurants. So there's a lot of outside eating. And that was one of my concerns. And then they're like, okay, we're going to give you the two um, northbound lanes on Main Street. So they were actually figuring out amongst each other. So I got the call from the mayor first that he was going to be participating and that they were going to bring out um, masks and pass them out to people. Then right after that, I got the call from Chief McKenna. And he was like, you know, I, I want to be out there and I want to come out there and speak, but I need you to work with me to make sure, you know, that this is not an, an open forum for people to start bashing me. And I, I made that pretty clear. There was a young lady that before we started marching, she had a sign that said, slaughter the pig. And I um, was not happy with that. Um, it was brought to my attention that she had it. I politely went over there and I stood in front of her and she was facing the police holding the sign and um it said slaughter the pigs and I said I just looked at her and she says what my sign I was like yeah I said this protest is not about that I said we all know that the pig slang is um cops slang you know it's for pigs um pigs slang is for cops I said we need you to not march with that sign 
And she said, well, this is not, I said, no, I said, that client is not going to be a part of this protest. I said, you can do your own protest separately if you feel like that, I said, but you will not be a part of this protest with that line. That's not what this is about. Mm. So I guess during the approach, she had it down because people were watching. And then, you know, as we got down to the front of the police station, she was one of the ones that, you know, escalated a little situation while the mayor was speaking. And I tried to, you know, diffuse that because I told the mayor to hold on. It's like, I'm such a take charge person at times. It's like, I forgot I was talking to the mayor. I was like, hold on, Mr. Mayor. And I was like, we're not here for that. So I think that I let the protesters that came there for a peaceful demonstration and for situations to be heard, I think they felt a little bit at ease that I actually had a little bit of the crowd control just by myself. How did you know how to do that? That's just been my nature. You know, my family, my, my mother has seven brothers and <laughs> my mother is a, was very firm. I come from two very firm, strong families. So it's always been like, I've always been a captain of something. Um, I've always been in charge of something. So leadership kind of comes naturally to me. And I also have learned in my seasoned years how to diffuse situations without trying to escalate it at the same time. You have to be able to diffuse it and not escalate it. And at that moment, I knew that we weren't there for that. And I wasn't going to allow anybody to ruin the moment that we were there to one march for George Floyd, but also for all the other injustices that have been done to black and brown people across this nation. Mm. What was the highlight of that day for you? Dr. Connor, um, his speech was powerful at low short. He made an impact because, like he said, he's the superintendent of schools. It doesn't matter if he's in a suit or not. He still has to worry sometimes whether his education or not. He still has to worry because of the color of his skin if he's going to make a home to his children. Um, the other highlight would probably be the young lady that I that I let come up to speak. Her name was Nashari. You know, I felt after looking back at the video a couple of times, I felt compelled to apologize to her because I've, I've spoken to her almost every other day since the march since then. And um, this young lady is a political science major. Um, she's got a um, minor in creative writing. And when she was in a crowd, when someone, when I called Quentin Fitz up, she was spitting out different bits of knowledge. And I'm like, she sounds like me. But at 19 years old and going on to her junior year at Southern, I was like, she needs this platform because when I was 19, we really didn't have a platform, but this generation is different. They're speaking out. They're being more involved. So she came in and although her, her, um, her language at that time was, you know, full of curse words. And I spoke to her about that. I felt wrong because I felt like I chastised her and I shouldn't have, because the moment wasn't for that, for her to feel like she had to be silent. So I did apologize to her later on for her feeling that she couldn't really get it off her chest where she wanted to, but her point was made in very clear because I've gotten a lot of feedback, like who was that passionate young lady? And because I knew what she was really trying to do and say, and a lot of the things that she knew that were saying, I've been studying for a couple of years. I was very proud of her and I had just met her, but I know that she was the, um, the minority student coalition president when she was at Millicent high school and that she wants to be a lawyer. And I'm like, this is what's going to be leading our future in 20 years. Mm. So I was happy for her. Mm -hmm. And then probably the fact that Mayor Floresheim 
even after the megaphone was gone, he stood in a circle amongst the crowd and was taking heat, not being surrounded by police officers or being protected. He stood in that circle and allowed questions to be asked to him. And he didn't shy away from answering those questions. And he said, you know what? I'm going to have to get these answers get answers for you and he tried he answered these questions the best that he could he could easily walk away and said hey i'm done he didn't he stood there basically in the pit fire and allowed these different people to ask him questions so i think that that's that made me look at him differently as far as like you know he's not here just for politics he's here for change Mm. and it strikes me too that then being able to witness all that and see it um, allows for the possibility of more open dialogue, you know, more, more connection, more uh, change in the future because some, some barriers, you know, came down. They did. I also noticed on your Facebook page that you are organizing another March. I am for Juneteenth. So now that you have had this really successful and, <laughs> you know, it's a strange thing to say, but it was a really successful protest and, you know, beautiful and uh, meaningful. Um, how do you do it again? Or how do you move to this next one? What are you imagining? This one is definitely going to stay within the Black Lives Matter movement. However, um, it's going to focus, uh, the main focus on this is, we're really going to be um, Juneteenth, 155 years later. Where are we now? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to want the speaker that's going to speak about Juneteenth to, exp- um, to expound on, you know, what is the difference between June 19th, 1865 to June 19th, 2020? Mm-hmm. Um, we're still fighting some of this. I mean, although we have more people that are educated, education is, you know, easier for us to get however there's still fights we are fighting um we see that social injustices and racism isn't going anywhere but it's putting on new faces and the fact that you know we we still have a fight ahead of us like there's people that were put into positions um that were knowingly racist that have prevented and stifled people of color for many years and that needs to be brought to the forefront as well. Like, you know, blacks getting higher um, sentences as opposed to whites. I was reading something the other day that there was a case out of um, Florida. Two, two gentlemen, one 19-year-old white male, a 21-year-old black male. Same exact crime a couple of months apart. Same exact judge sentenced them. And they had, I guess, Florida goes by a point system. They both had 138.2 points. They both had guns. They were both did this. They were, it was both robberies. Exact same charges. Nothing different on them. The young white male, he got time served. He was two, less than two years. The black male was sentenced to 26 years. Mm. There was nothing different about their cases. And it's been said that this judge has looked at, you know, has always given harsher penalties to black males. And this is something that has to stop because there's people that haven't been knowingly put into office. Let's be honest, their crime needs to stop happening. However, if it does, when it does happen, the penalties aren't the same. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely not the same. There's 
like Michael Vick served more time for killing a dog than somebody that's raped women or um, molested children. And you look at stuff like that, like, how does this happen? There needs to be a universal law system. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I really don't think that each state should have different laws because each judge that sits on that bench, they're all putting their hand on that Bible and taking an oath to, you know, make the right decisions to do this, to do that. And some of them are not. They were put into office knowing that they have a different agenda on their mind and that they were racist. Mm. We're not in the Jim Crow South anymore, and, and it's not fair. That's why I keep on referring to this moment as a reckoning, because it really does feel like these stories that you are describing, um, they are happening and ha- happening and happening and have happened. And, you know, it's it's time and it's past way past time. Um, but it's it's amazing to see what's happening now that truly feels like it is something that is changing and is not going to go back to the status quo. It's not going to go back to the way it was. Um, or so I hope and pray. Two last questions. So in, in terms of the next protest, you know, things are even more intense now than they were on May 30th. How do you imagine being able to have the same kind of peaceful, we're all in this together, you know, vibe that that, that, that first march really had? Well, I think that since the last march, you know, accountability has happened. Um, we've seen it really across in different states across the nation as far as officers holding their other holding other officers accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen immediate firing. Um, you've seen um, obviously the, the arrest of the officers, but now you know the other three have been released. But things are actually being re- um, reinvestigated. So I think with everything that has been sparking. Not saying that everything is immediately changing, but now you're looking at hopefully every police department, every state will adopt accountability laws. Like if you are a part of something and you see your fellow officer using excessive force and you don't stop it, you're just blamed. No, no more. I don't think the police, the, the problem sometimes I feel is, I mean, I've been a part of, I'm, I'm a union child. My mother was a union in the union. My dad was in the union. I've been in the union. And the union is there definitely to protect you. Um, however, I think that there needs to be some type of protocol or outline for when these police unions actually go to represent certain individuals. Um, Derek Chauvin shouldn't have been a police officer. Two officer involved shooting. There's no way that he was an officer. Still, he shouldn't have been there. He should have been fired a long time ago. So there's got to be some type of reform when it comes to that. And I'm dying for us to live in a society where we're judged by the content of our character and not by the color of our skin. Yeah. And people always let, laugh at me and say that because I'm going to make a joke. You know, I'm, I'm very light skinned. I'm fair skinned. But I still have gone through racism. Um, I used to be in sales at Rainwater Flanagan. And I remember um, trying to sell furniture to a white couple um, a couple of t- couple of different times, and they were so standoffish to me. It's almost like they gave me like the the Heisman Trophy move, like don't come near me. So what we have at Raymar Flanagan was called a TO, which is called Team Opportunity. So if you feel like you're not getting anywhere with that prospect coming through the door for any reason, you try to 
give the team opportunity to one of your other um, colleagues that might be able to close the deal for you. And I did. And I TO'd it to a gentleman. He was like in his 60s. He was a white man, used to be a teacher. And he closed a $14,000 deal. I'd rather have half of something than all of nothing if I would have stood there and try to make them feel uncomfortable because they didn't want to work with me because I was black. But they shouldn't have felt uncomfortable because I was black. Mm. I was a black woman in a suit mm. in a professional attire, but yet they didn't want me to help them pick out the furnishings for their home. Mm. So I, I've gone through that, you know, myself. And I'm fine with it because I know my strength. I know who I am. I know what my parents how they raised me to be, but I also know that I've learned a lot on my own things that my parents didn't learn or didn't teach me because they weren't really that type of individual. I'm much more outspoken and outgoing than both of them. Mm. Like I'm the one that will jump out of a plane and can survive anywhere because I'm almost like a jack of all trades. But my mom, she's more content in a home atmosphere hmm. where I'm much more the person that is like a, a free spirit. <laughs> That's what she likes to call me. Well, you know, it's funny because I was going to ask you as my last question, what's bringing you hope? But I feel like you've answered it. Um, <laughs> there's there's so much that's hopeful in what you're saying, that, you know, that's that's real and true and powerful, but that is really hopeful as we continue to move forward during these times. Erica, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm blown away by what you're accomplishing. And it's just such a great story of what one person can do by planting that seed, by starting. And and, and then look what happens. Thank you. And if anybody um, ends up listening to this, the march is June 19th. We're going to be marching from Rapallo Avenue to the um, South Green in Middletown. There's going to be keynote speakers um, from across the state. We have some state representatives there. The mayor will be speaking, um, Clinton Fitz. Um, we're still working on a program, but this is definitely having an agenda that we are not collateral damage for the war on racism or for the war on inequality, for the war on oppression, nor for the war on systemic and social injustices. We just want to be treated equally, to be treated fairly, and to really put an end to all of this police brutality against the people of color. Beautifully put. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. All right. Be well. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. 
so as another busy Monday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.